Welcome to Literary Anything, our Marian Libraries podcast where we talk about anything literary and literary anything. I'm Jane. I'm Paula. Welcome to 2022. Oh, I can't get used to seeing it. I know. It's weird. I read something the other day. What was it? That 2022 to 2000 is like 1979 to <laughs> 2000 or something like that. <laughs> I can't do the math that quickly in my head. But that blows my mind. Right. We're just back from Christmas. so Yeah, we're a bit punchy and I've been on yeah. holiday mm-hmm. for a week and a half. So yeah. I'm out of the loop. So this month we read Lemon by Kwon Yeo Sun. And shall I talk about the author a little bit? Let's do that. Sure. So Kwan Yosan was born in Andong, which is a province of South Korea, in 1965. And I'm just going to pause that because for some reason I thought the author of this book was much, much younger than that. So Ooh. she's 56. 57. 57. Okay. So, yeah, I don't know why I thought that. I just got the impression that maybe she was in her 20s Same. or 30s. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. Uh Kwan's first book was Niche of Green and that has been called one of the most outstanding coming-of-age novels to emerge from South Korea ah. uh, and that was published in the 1990s. Eight years later, she published a short story collection called Maiden's Skirt and this is a collection where she has said it felt like she was publishing a love letter to herself and it's about defeated individuals who, though troubled by their you know, tragic lives and fate come to a place of resigned acceptance, mm. which that sounds quite interesting, but I don't think that's been translated into English. This novel was started as a short story, and the book's quite short anyway, but it was a short story that she wrote in 2016 called You Do Not Know, mm. uh, and this is her first work that's been translated into English, and that was released in English last year. Shall I read the blurb on the back of the book? Please. Okay. This is not a murder story. It is the story of those left behind. In the summer of 2002, 19-year-old Kim Hyeon is killed in what becomes known as the high school beauty murder. Two suspects quickly emerge, rich kid Shin Jong-jun, in whose car Hyeon was last seen, and delivery boy Han Manu, who witnessed Hyeon in the passenger seat of Jong-jun's car just a few hours before her death. But when Jong-jun's alibi turns out to be solid and no evidence can be pinned on Manu, the case goes cold. 17 years pass without any resolution for those who knew and loved Hyeon, and the grief and uncertainty take a cruel toll on her sister, Dayon, in particular. Unable to move on with her life, Dayon tries in her own twisted way to recover some of what she's lost, ultimately setting out to find the truth of what happened. Told at different points in time from the perspectives of Dayon and two of Hyeon's classmates, Lemon is a piercing psychological portrait that takes the shape of a crime novel. So it's told at different points in time from different perspectives. And I thought that that layout was unique. It's separated out into eight chapters with a one-word title followed by the year that it's taking place. So, for example, the first uh, chapter is called Shorts 2002. Yeah. And would it surprise you if I told you that this whole book is written in the first person? No. Oh, okay. Why? Because, what do you mean? Well, because... Well, I've read it. So. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> I obviously have read it too, but I don't know, that's when I looked back at it, it surprised me because it seemed like, because of all the different points of view, plus there are two chapters that are written like one-sided conversations. Yes, yes. It didn't come off like a first-person... 
Yes, it is. It's a bit of a hodgepodge of first-person narratives across those years. It's quite observational and quietly dark. That's how I felt reading the whole book. Mm. Um, but sh- what should we do? Should we talk about the characters perhaps? Sure, do yeah. that. Yeah. And then I've got some a couple of questions to see because you don't really get anything completely laid out and resolved in this book. Yeah, I think we should get into that in yes. a bit. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. that's right. So Kim Hyon, we don't hear from her at all through this book. And she's the murder victim. She's the murdered sister. There's Han Manu who went to school with them, but he's also called the delivery boy. He was one of the last people to see Hyon before she was found murdered. Mm-hmm. And on his delivery bike. A scooter, I think scooter, it was. scooter, that's yeah. right, mm-hmm. was Jun Taerim. Taerim and Han Manu saw Dio. <sighs> <laughs> you know what? This is one of the points, actually. I found this book <laughs> very confusing. Mm. And I wasn't sure if it was because of all the female characters of about the same age yeah. with Korean names I wasn't mm. used to. Mm-hmm. And also because it was unclear at the beginning of each chapter whose POV yes. you were getting. So yes, you, and I, I often like that, like mm. trying to sort it out. But in this book, for some reason, I came to find it uh, annoying because I was just getting too confused. Particularly because there's a mystery and particularly because it is all from first person. So you don't at all get an idea until you're probably a page or so into the chapter about who is speaking. Yes. And I don't think it's in order. Like, it's not in order each big chapter either. It's just... In order of... Of, you know, each chapter it's Dayon's perspective or then Tareem's and then it's Han Manu's. It's, it's not... It's just all over the place. Yeah. yeah. And I was just wanting to say about that Yun Tareem that initially Han Manu isn't clear with the officer because mm. the first chapter, which I found interesting, it's Dayon imagining based on what she knows, what it was like in the police interrogation room with the police officer in- interrogating Han Manu. Yes. And he's not particularly forthcoming. He doesn't want to tell the police officer initially that Yun Tae-rim was on the bike with him. So yeah, he says that, that he saw yeah. Hyun and the police officer saying, well, you couldn't have seen her from the perspective. And you couldn't have known she was wearing shorts yeah. because you were sitting on a scooter. That's right. How would you know? And yeah. he finally admits, actually, I'm just repeating what Yun Tae-rim. Yes. I forgot that that was told from the imagined perspective of Dayon because that annoyed me and it made me not like Han Manu. Because I was like, why wouldn't you just say that's stupid? Yeah, and I think you're supposed to feel like that. You, how many yeah. is sort of portrayed as not attractive mm. and kind of stupid, bit of an idiot. Yeah, yeah, bit of a simpleton in mm. a way. Yeah, and I found it interesting that the story starts from that perspective and also ends also with Dayon imagining. Han Manu on the scooter. Do you want to talk about some of the other characters? Sure. There's Dayon, the sister of Kim Hyon, and then there's Shin Jeongjun, who we don't hear from as a character, but he's present throughout, yes. obviously. And he was the one that was driving in the car with Hyon before she was murdered. Yeah. And so he was technically the last person to be with her and see her. But he had a solid alibi. Mm. And then there's one other character who is Sang Hui. That's right. Yep. So then Sang Hui also went to school with them. And yeah, that was 
again, contributed to my confusion. Yes, yes. I particularly got um, those two mixed up. Dayon and Sanghui. Yeah. yeah. And also it's like everyone was described as sort of young and beautiful. Yeah. And I was like, wh- who, which beautiful girl is this now <laughs> again? <laughs> I mean, I guess really it was just Yun Tae Rim was beautiful and Hyun was beautiful. But Hyun's beauty was out of this world. And that's right. Ethereal, yes. magical beauty. Yes, right. that's right. So... so. <laughs> It's really hard to talk about this book. It is. It's a very short story as well. And not a lot happens, really. Yeah. It's, that's what I mean about it being very observational. It's just... Yeah, you're right. I thought, okay, how about this? <laughs> We're really struggling with this one. But I think that's for okay. a reason, I made two lists of things that I liked and oh. things that I didn't like slash was confused oh, that's by. that's a great idea. Okay. I've got just a couple of paragraphs of just comments. Comments, okay. Well, <laughs> I'll slot them into yours. Let's do that. <laughs> so here are a couple of things that I liked in a kind of a tragic or creepy sort of mm-hmm. way. The fact that Dayon starts to dress yes. like her sister and then actually has plastic surgery to make herself look more like her sister because Dayon's described as, you know, her, her sister has this ethereal beauty that mm. we spoke of and Dayon is, I think she actually says like sort of short and dumpy. Yes, and she references the fact that she had terrible acne. and That's right. Yeah. Why do you think she did that? Is it well, to appease her grieving mother? Is it to appease her own grief? Yeah, that's a very good question. I mean, it says on the back of the book that Dayon is trying in her own twisted way to recover from some of what mm. she's lost. Yeah. So possibly all of the above. Yeah. So I found that gave the book this kind of creepy foreboding. And Dayon describes how her mother wanted to name her sister Heun, but her father kept um, mispronouncing it Hyun with what she calls his provincial accent. So eventually they just went with Hyun. But after Hyun was murdered, the mother gets obsessed with the mm. idea that it's something to do with the fact that she had the wrong name. Yeah, And it's so tragic how she tries to go and have her name officially changed to Heun. Yes. But when she tells the official that her daughter is actually deceased, the official's like, well, you can't change mm. the name of somebody who's already dead. Yeah, and she can't fathom why it's an issue. Just yes. She's astounded that it can't just be done. And mm. so instead, she tries to go back through all of her paperwork, changing, yes. mis- like painstakingly changing Hyun's name back to Heyun. Yes. So yeah, I found that tragically sad. Yeah. And yeah, that's the end of the things that I liked. <laughs> Okay, now here are the things that I found really confusing. Okay. The first was the all the female characters, and I found it really hard to keep straight who was who. Yeah. It made it hard for me to get into this book. Like, mm. I thought I would finish it really quickly because it is such a short book, but it actually took me ages to get into it, and I actually restarted it at one point because I thought, oh, I've got no idea what's happening here. I got Yeah, we talked about that when we were both reading it because I stopped and started it. I'd read a chapter, not even a chapter, just a little bit and put it down and then pick it, and then I eventually had to just stump up and read almost all of it in one go because I kept getting confused. Same. Mm. Yeah. I probably should have reread it again, but I didn't want to. (laughs) Yeah, I don't blame (laughs) you. And then there's um, Sang Hui talks about 
her poetry. Mm. Dayon mentions that they had this connection through poetry when they were in school. And she mentions the title of this poet, Betty Byrne, maker of Lemon Platt. That was the title of her mm. poem. And then she says that she remembers the first line of the poem. And when she writes out the first line of the poem, the name Betty Byrne is spelled differently. And I didn't know if that was a typo or why is it Betty Byrne in the title of the book and then Betty mm. Bryn in the <laughs> in the line of poetry. Do you anyway. think that's a typo? I don't know. Yes. Maybe we're missing some sort of deeper meaning I, to that don't know I don't know and the fact that it's maker of lemon plat and this book is called lemon and much is made of this yellow dress yes, yes. and then she wears the yellow dress yeah Dayon wears yeah. is wearing the yellow dress yeah. found that confusing yes what was the significance because as we talked about much was made of what Hyun was wearing yes. when she died she's in the car with Jung Jun she's either wearing a tank top and shorts or she's wearing a dress. Yes. And I don't know what difference it makes. I wonder if that had something to do with the fact that she routinely forgot to wear underwear. Right. Which I'll t- we'll talk a little bit more in a minute about. Yeah. And whether because she was sitting up there, uh, who says it? I think it's Terium that says she was sitting up with her legs up on the dash kind of thing in the car and with her legs splayed open. Did they did they say her legs were on the dash? Well, they were up and her legs were like out. So right. essentially if she was wearing a dress and then she had no underwear on, then right. all would be for show. Right. Or if she had shorts on, then and it's it a little wouldn't. bit more discreet. Well, I, I just don't know. Don't and I don't know the relevance of that either. Yeah, I don't understand yeah, what what the significance of that was. Yeah. And then I began to wonder if Heyun had some kind of mental disability because she's portrayed as rarely talking. Yes. And as Jane said, often forgetting to wear a bra and underwear. Yeah. So much so that their mother puts mm. Dayon, who's younger, in charge of making sure that yes. Heyun's... Yeah, I, I wondered that as well because she's seemingly completely unaware of any sort of social norms. Yeah. She's quite happy to just... I think there's a passage in here somewhere about Dayon's describing that she'll just sit there and look at nothing and do nothing and is quite okay with it, but then will fly into a rage when she's hungry, but then be back to her normal placid with nothing going on in her head self after she's eaten. I I wondered that as well, if she had some sort of disability. And then finally, the ending... The ending <laughs> confused me. So the ending, Hanmanu is on the scooter and he's excited by having Yun Tae Rim with him. Like there's this element of Hanmanu is low socioeconomic status and he's not very attractive and he's got this crappy job and he's really surprised that Yun Tae Rim would even get on the scooter with him. Yeah. And he's very excited about that and then he drives off. Yeah, and she gets off in a hurry, doesn't she, for some reason? I can't remember. I wondered if... Tayrim's the killer. Well, at various points, I wondered if Tayrim was the killer. Yes. And also, I wondered if Dayon was the killer. See, my big question is, did Dayon take... Because it it ends up that Shin Jeong-jung and Tayrim marry 
and have a child together. Oh, I didn't even write about that. Yes, that's a a massive plot point (laughs) that I missed. And their child, who is only one, I think, at the time, is kidnapped. Right, and they they make a point about how beautiful this child was. That's right. The child is beautiful. The circumstances of the kidnapping are very strange because the babysitter takes the baby for a walk and then parks the, the pram in a specific spot at the shop where it's not in view of the security cameras Mm. and then someone just takes the baby and then the babysitter just apparently doesn't notice that the baby is gone and then just walks back and then the baby with an empty pram empty pram yeah and then we also know that day on she refers to the fact that she has a child who they also called Kim Hee-on. I'm assuming that this was some sort of reparation for killing Hee-on. Yes, that Day-on Day-on kidnapped. Orchestra, yes, kidnapped this baby to give a new Hee-on to her mother to help her with her grief. And there's some sort of reparation for killing Hee-on. That's right. I assumed that's, that's yeah. what I'm figuring. Well, right, because at yeah. first, when Dayon says that she literally gives her mother yes. a baby back, yes, I assumed that she had a baby. That's what I thought too. Yes, and then you find out what Jane just mm. described, and yeah, I assumed the same thing. And I assume it's orchestrated that way because Jiung Jung. There's this passage about how he's cuddling this baby and he's crying and Tay Rim's like why is he crying about this and it seems to me that he was saying goodbye because then the next day she was kidnapped. Oh I didn't get that at all. I maybe liked this a bit more than I I realised because yeah Tay Rim was surprised that her husband was so attached to the baby because she didn't think he was going to be. Yes. Because he wasn't happy when she was pregnant was he? That's right. Right. Yeah, and so this is the, you know, and then the whole, there was no investigation into the kidnapping and Jiang Jung's parents were like, no, 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 you know, That's it's right. done now. Oh, I totally didn't get that. Because at one point I even wondered if Tae Rim was mm. involved with the kidnapping yes. somehow because she seemed like she was jealous of yes. the baby. Jealous of the baby, jealous of Hyun, and she obviously orchestrated herself to be on the scooter to be able to see who he was driving around with. Yeah, I did not get that. (laughs) Um, I like it a bit more now that you've pointed that out to me. This Tayrim, the only time we hear from her is when she's having this one-sided conversation or we're hearing one side of a conversation with a therapist or a doctor. Yeah, yeah. And she sounds quite unhinged and unwell (laughs) unhinged was the exact word yeah what did you think of those chapters she was an annoying character yes and I didn't like her I didn't like those chapters at first but I was quite happy to have them in the end because it helped round out the story and Mm. put a few of the fill in some of the blanks that we weren't getting from the rest of the characters so I quite I appreciated them in the end right I guess you appreciated the content I just questioned the execution of having them be that one-sided conversation because yeah. it yeah. felt strange. I've read a couple of reviews and they're all they're quite mixed, aren't they? They are. I wonder if some of it feels a little disjointed because 
of the translation. I wondered that too. And I don't know very much about the process of translating a book and I'd be very interested to know more about how that works. Yes. I'm, I'm making an assumption here, but it's particularly challenging to translate from an Asian language which is so, so different to English, obviously, and it would be challenging to ensure tone, characterization, and those really subtle nuances of a character maintaining those characters to make sure the story and the characterizations are intact Yum. from the original i can't even fathom how people do it but yeah. they do it and i wonder if something literally got lost in the translation yeah, literally yeah. yeah i don't know because those chapters with the doctor were strange and the language is a little bit mm, yeah the dialogue was a bit off somehow yeah, yeah i don't it know was. Yeah, and it's hard to know if that was the author's intent with yes, the tone of that chapter. You're, exactly. You're totally right. Is this a mystery book? On the back it says mm. it takes the shape of a crime novel. Yeah. I mean, there's a mystery in the story, but it's not in the traditional sense. Of yeah, and it, yeah, and it isn't solved. And I guess that's the, the thing that I disliked about it the most, mm. that we don't know who killed. Not for sure. I mean, in my mind, I kind of just like, right, well, Zhang Zhang killed her Tayrim knows about it he needed to not go to jail so they had this baby and he gave the baby back to Hyun's family as payment for killing their daughter yeah <laughs> sounds that but, sounds horrific no but it just but that's that a, sounds like simplistic a, as it is in my head about what happened yeah and that's a very compelling story I feel like the execution of it is what I didn't yeah. like because that, what you just described, I think is a really good basis for a book. I mean, it was based on a short story. Perhaps it just wasn't fleshed out enough or maybe it never should have been turned into more than a short story. I mean, it's a very short story, like a short book anyway. As it is, yeah. There was one um, good read quote that I'm just going to read here because I feel like it summed up how I felt about it. My impression was that the book wasn't quite sure what it was trying to be or to achieve with this resulting in a muddled story with no stakes. I didn't feel that I knew or understood the motivations behind anyone involved enough to care about the outcome at the end of the book. That's wow, sort that of last bit in particular. I pretty much forgot about everything that happened in the book as soon as I finished it. Same. Well, <laughs> the fact that you had to point out that massive plot point that I totally forgot about. No. Now that we've had this conversation, mm. I like it more. Yeah, there are some nuances within the book that are quite liked when I was reading this book I felt like have I been staring at my phone so long that I have lost the ability to take in a book that's how this book made me feel it really did questioning your <laughs> abilities yeah it really was <laughs> so that was lemon that was <laughs> Have you read anything else this month? Well, like I said, I kept getting distracted by my phone, so I haven't read a lot. But one book that I did read and absolutely love was Well, Hello by oh, Annabelle Crabbe and Lee Sales. Yeah. So, so how is that set out? How is it presented? Yes, it's extremely cute. 
how it's set out. It's basically lots of lists oh. of their favorite books and oh, then recipes and memories of the podcast and from each of their perspectives. Oh. So like they wrote it and they didn't know what the other one was writing and then they put it together that with little lovely. caricatures of the two of them and little photos of and heaps of inside jokes mm. from the podcast. So this is like a must read for fans of, I, sh- I haven't even said, it's a book about the podcast Chat 10 Looks 3 that Annabelle Crabb and Lee Sales do together about all their favorite books and podcasts and TV shows. And I absolutely love it. I'm a huge fan. So I love this book. Do you own it? I don't, but I oh, feel that I should. I think you should too. Yes, I'm I, surprised that wasn't on your Christmas oh, list. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should just buy it for myself and keep it to hopefully get it signed one day when you get one of them to come here to the library. <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> that sounds really fun yeah it was, it's a very fun book yeah you definitely need to go get it for yourself yes <laughs> how about you Jane I read one other book called Good Morning Monster by Catherine Gildner this is I found this book after reading an article in Stylist magazine and I flicked it over to Paul and said have a look at this it sounds good and we might put the link in the show notes perhaps. So this book is being turned into a podcast and there's potential film and TV adaptations in the works too. When someone says things are in the works, you know, I feel whatever. like what book isn't in the works? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so this is a non-fiction book. Catherine Gilden is a therapist and has been practicing for, I don't know, 30 years or something. So she's written about five of what she calls her most heroic and memorable patients, among them a successful first-generation Chinese immigrant musician suffering a sexual dysfunction, a young woman whose father abandoned her at age nine with her younger siblings in an isolated cottage in the depths of winter. She's Canadian as well, so depths of winter in the Canadian winter. Mm. Not some like not Australian, <laughs> right. you know, mild so winters. No, and like yeah. proper you could die winter. Right. <laughs> and a glamorous workaholic whose narcissistic, negligent mother greeted her each morning of her childhood with "Good morning, monster." <sighs> so each patient presents a mystery that will be unpacked over years of therapy. They seek her help to overcome an immediate issue that they've got but they discover that they need to do the work I guess to discover what the source of their issue really has been. This was really really good and we debated reading it as one of our monthly books perhaps in the next couple of months but I decided I think it would be too traumatic for people. We'd have to put so many trigger warnings on the discussion that I think it would be off-putting. I think people obviously can cope with it but perhaps not everyone. There's some really difficult chapters in this book to get through, some very horrific details of child abuse. I found it really hard to get through some of these um, people's stories. Overall, though, it's a really hopeful book and it's a really interesting read that outlines the remarkable ability for people to survive Mm. and have resilience and the recovery that can happen with the human brain with the right sort of help. The reviews are overwhelmingly positive and lots of people are comparing it to Maybe You Should Talk to Someone by Laurie Gottlieb. Have you heard of that? Oh, no, I haven't. I'm going to put that on my list of things to read. I think that's a bit lighter Mm. than this book from what I'm, I'm understanding. So, yeah, that's what I've read. And I think 
you're probably going to read it. Yeah, too, Jane gave it to me because I said that sounds absolutely fascinating. I have to read that. And you said you read it really quickly oh, too, super right? Quick. I read it over three days. Right. So now we were going to talk about some things we were looking forward to reading. Mm-hmm. And the first one I wrote was that one that you just <laughs> <laughs> that you just mentioned. Definitely looking forward to reading that. I've also started reading In Order to Live by Yunmi Park. Oh. I don't know. I can't remember why because that's not a new book. It's a biography about this young girl escaping from North Korea. Wow. Yes. Yeah. I've started that one. And then also I am looking forward to listening to, because we have a copy of this on Libby that I've uh, put on hold, Bodies of Light by Jennifer Down. Mm. It's a kind of long buried secret sort of a book, but people are calling it a masterwork of tragedy and heartbreak. And that Jennifer Down is one of the best writers in Australia today. So those are a few things I'm looking forward to. I have two things on my list plus about a thousand other books on my virtual shelf (laughs) waiting to be read. Read literally the first page yesterday of The Maidens by Alex Michaelides, who's the author of The Silent Patient, which I read way back in 2019, I think Mm. I read that. Really enjoyed. This is another psychological thriller with a bit of a murder mystery theme to it. And I'm also going to try and track down, maybe you should talk to someone by Laurie Gottlieb, which I just spoke about. That sounds also quite interesting. So I'm going to see if we've got that in the collection somewhere. Now, I don't have very much literary news because, like I said, I've been on holiday, so (laughs) I've got no idea what's happening. So I just took a quick peek and found one little thing that I thought I'd mention. Had you heard about this feud between Dan Brown, the author of The Da Vinci Code, and his wife? No. Yeah. Tell us. So... Blythe Brown, first of all, she claims that she inspired much of the work coming up with the premise for the Da Vinci Code. And they've obviously split. Mm, She's mm. saying that he had the secret life during their marriage um, that included several affairs and that he tried to squirrel away money and that he was trying to keep some projects that were supposedly worth millions of dollars secret from her, obviously, so that she couldn't get her hands on it. But anyway... They have agreed to settle their lawsuit. So I don't know what the outcome of that was, but they have settled. Wow. Yeah. That sounds salacious and fabulous. (laughs) I thought you'd like that. (laughs) Have you read The Da Vinci Code? Yes, I did way back in the day. Mm. And I really liked it at the time, but I know people really panic. And I wonder if I read it today, Mm. if I, I, I... have a feeling that I wouldn't feel the same about it. <laughs> Did you? No. Oh, you never read it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I jumped right on that bandwagon. I don't know. I think it just didn't interest me. Right. If if it was now, I probably would give it a go because it, I don't know. Were you here when that came out? No, I was People in Canada. People were, they would have been in Canada yes, too. Yes, they were, yeah. They were crazy about this book. It was all all these people that have never stepped foot into a library and like, give me the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> That's right. There was had so many copies and wait lists and It was kind of like the fifty shades of grey of yes. the mystery genre. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So there's two things that I picked out to uh, talk about quickly that are coming out in January. One is called She and I by Hannah King. This is a Bloomsbury book. This is out on the fifth of January. 
This is a gripping psychological thriller set in small town Northern Ireland that looks at female friendship, class disparities and complicity. Keely and Jude are closer than blood, inseparable since childhood. They share everything, clothes, secret, booze and blame. So when they wake up after a New Year's party to find Keely's boyfriend stabbed to death beside them, they agree to share something else, the story that they'll tell police. As the murder investigation sends ripples through their community, the history of the girls' claustrophobic relationships comes under scrutiny and they start to realise they might not always have shared as much as they thought. The thing that piqued my interest about this is the fact that it's set in Northern Ireland. I don't know why. It just sounds different. Sounds, yeah, spooky. No, that sounds good. no (laughs) knowledge or information. (laughs) Sometimes things just grab you. (laughs) Now this one. Okay. I just kind of overheard Jane making all sorts of little noises about this, whatever it is. I've got no idea that she's about to talk about, but I can't wait. I don't know if I want to read it or not. This appeals to my love of dystopian novels. So... It's called How High We Go in the Dark by Sequoia Nagamatsu. This is out on the 18th of January. It's another Bloomsbury book. Dr. Cliff Miyashiro arrives in the Arctic Circle to continue his recently deceased daughter's research, only to discover a virus newly unearthed from melting permafrost, the plague unleashed... (laughs) The plague! And Jane's eyes just light up. The plague! (laughs) The plague unleashed reshapes life on Earth for generations. Yet even while struggling to counter this destructive force, humanity stubbornly persists in myriad moving and ever inventive ways. Among those adjusting to this new normal are an aspiring comedian employed by a theme park designed for terminally ill children who falls in love with a mother desperately trying to keep her son alive. A scientist who, having failed to save his own son from the plague, gets a second chance at fatherhood when one of his test subjects, a pig, develops human speech. Oh my God. (laughs) A man who, after recovering from his own coma, plans a block party for his neighbours who have also awoken to find that they alone have survived their families and a widowed painter and her teenage granddaughter who must set off on a cosmic quest to locate a new home planet. Oh my gosh, that (laughs) sounds so crazy. Wow, I don't even know. Doesn't that sound like it could be amazing or really bad? (laughs) Yes, it could be a after the flood or it could be a, I don't know what's an amazing dystopian. Handmaid's Tale. Handmaid's Tale. So that's How High We Go in the Dark by Sequoia Nagamatsu. Mm, Interesting. Mm. I don't know. The thing that puts me off, obviously, is the mother trying desperately to keep her son alive. Oh, right. Can yeah, I cope with that? Yeah, Possibly not. Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> now, I printed off the 2021 Goodreads Best of list of books, mm-hmm. and I thought I would just <laughs> mention a few <laughs> that we have um, mentioned on the podcast before. The winner for the fiction genre was... Your favorite of mine, <laughs> Sally Rooney, Beautiful World, Where Are You? So clearly we are in the minority with this book. Yes, possibly. Do you think people are just saying they like that book? Right, they're just jumping on the bandwagon because yeah. everybody... Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. People, is that what you're doing? <laughs> we, we, we don't get it. 
the winner for the mystery and thriller book is The Last Thing He Told Me by Laura Dave. And I mentioned that because we considered that for a podcast book. Mm. And I think I still want to read it because I keep seeing it yeah. popping up. Yeah. And then in the category of historical fiction, the winner was Malibu Rising, which... I don't know why what? it's funny that that it's historical fiction. Like, would you class that as historical fiction? I don't know. I it's mean, just, I guess so. I guess. But when was it set in the fif- across the fifties? Not even earlier, wasn't it? Was it forties, fifties, sixties, and then now? And then eighties, wasn't it? That yeah, party was in the eighties. Remember, because they kept throwing in. It was like everyone's doing cocaine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was an eighties thing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I just thought that that was funny. And then in the memoir and autobiography uh, genre is a book called Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zavner. Have you seen that? It's The cover is oh. noodles being picked up by two pairs of chopsticks. It sort of reminded me of The Things She Owned oh, by Catherine yeah. Tamiko Argyle. So uh, yeah, that's one that I had it and then I ran out of time with it. So I got to get it back again. Now, do you want to uh, announce what our book for February <gasps> yes. is? We are going to read The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath. Yes, somebody asked us to read a classic, and so this is the one we've chosen. I read this a really, really long, like in my teenage years, and it went so far over my head, it's not funny. So I'm really looking forward to reading this as a fully-fledged adult now. Right. And seeing what all the fuss is about. Yeah, I've never read it, actually. Brett, my partner, read it fairly recently and was really moved by it. So I have a little blurb here. Please. The Bell Jar chronicles the crack up of Esther Greenwood. Brilliant, beautiful, enormously talented and successful, but slowly going under, maybe for the last time. Sylvia Plath masterfully draws the reader into Esther's breakdown with such intensity that Esther's insanity becomes completely real and even rational, as probable and accessible an experience as going to the movies. Such deep penetration into the dark and harrowing corners of the psyche is an extraordinary accomplishment and has made The Bell Jar a haunting American classic. I think we'll have a really interesting talk about this book. I think so too. I think so too. There's so much history about the bell jar and then Sylvia Plath has been mythologised almost as a literary figure and then of course her her demise and death as well. So yeah, I can't wait. Yes. This is available on Libby in e-audio and e-book format and we've also got copies in the library. Yeah, so grab a copy read along and come hear us again next month (laughs) bye bye Yes. I don't know what I'm doing. COVID's ramping up here in Adelaide. So we're um, squishing in a couple of recordings quickly Pro- before I go on leave. Probably squishing is not the word you should <laughs> use right after COVID. No. <laughs> but yeah, we are. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll, it I'll was, un- it was unusual that it's from, it's first person from multiple people. Yeah. Sorry, should I have said no or yes? <laughs> no, you should me. say what, how you felt. <laughs> It surprised me. Let me put it that way. I mean, I guess it surprised me as in, you know, I started 
reading it and I wasn't expecting that. Is that what you mean? No, I just meant after I finished reading it, when I was thinking about how right, it was written. Right. Yeah, just I was like, oh, oh actually, yeah. this is first person the whole way through. Yes. Yes, I see what you mean. Sorry. Yeah. I'm <laughs> eating so many prawns and so much chocolate <laughs> the last week that I might be <laughs> off the planet. Well done. We, yeah, we've mentioned many of those or read them, so that's good. Yes, we're on the cutting edge. <laughs> yep, listen here to be on the cutting edge <laughs> of what's out in the book world. 